Jacob, I have a question for you. Something I'm just curious about. I'm guessing the answer is no, I don't have any. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you afraid of anything? What is your biggest fear? That's what I want to know, Jacob. That is what I want to know tonight. Oh, man. Well, that's a deeply philosophical question. See? It is. You never know. Uh, probably. I mean, let's let's psychoanalyze myself for a second. I think, in all honesty, my biggest fear that I can currently think of is probably a fear of not... So I'm not going to say failure because failure isn't what I'm afraid of. Failure is as a part of my creative process. I put so much like even from like a younger age, I have always put a lot of myself out there, right? I would just create stuff and put it out there. I put music out there. I put writing out there. I've always done that. And I would just fail. I was just like, sweet, I'll do better next time. So that's not my fear, but in like a cousin to that. I think my fear is probably the fear of not achieving what I think I can achieve, if that makes sense. I feel like my – so when – like when I set out to write – a book like years ago, like my very first book, like not a teacher book, but just like fiction. I was like, I, I'm going to do this. And I failed a lot going, but eventually I did it. And I was like, sweet. And then it became, okay, well, I want to get published. And then that kind of didn't work, but I kept writing. I was like, well, you know, not a lot of people don't get published on their first one. You know, we've all read those stories like JK Rowling was rejected however many times and blah, 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 blah. But then I became a teacher and I was like, oh, I can write. Like, I, I maybe I have a voice in this space. So I would write, and then I got published. Then it was like, okay. Then the podcast got bigger, and I was like, well, let's. You know, it's always it's always me moving the goalpost a little bit for myself after I achieve something. And my fear is that I will I will not get to a point like I, I will fail to reach my full potential because I feel like I'm still growing in so many ways. And I think that coming from the family I did where there was a lot of potential and then eventually puttering out because of bad decisions and various other choices, I that that's my fear. My fear is being like my father sitting in the house at 45, miserable working a job and then only being able to reminisce about what what I was doing, right? Cuz my dad had a lot mm-hmm. of success in a lot of different ways. And ultimately, but my my fear I guess would be this that 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 of momentum going and then momentum lost and then I just get stuck. And I don't I don't know how to fully articulate that. It definitely is a psychoanalysis piece of like that definitely has to do with like watching my dad because my dad wanted to be a famous musician. That was his goal in life. He wanted to be he wanted to be Neil Peart from Rush and have the band. And eventually he had a family and then he had a business and then the band stuff fell away. And then he kind of lost his skills as a drummer and then inserts you know, drug abuse and everything like that. And it was just downhill from there. Like, I don't, 
I don't think I'll have that big of a turn, but that fear is there, right? I don't mm. want to, I don't want to be that guy that goes, you know, I had a fairly successful podcast and I had a couple books published, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> just like, and just sit back. Yeah. Like I want, I want the goalpost to, I, it's almost like I want the goalpost to constantly be moving. So I constantly have new highs to achieve in some ways. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair fear or not, but I, I think that's what I fear. That That's what drives me to do what I do, for sure, in some aspects. Well, with that, welcome to our podcast, <laughs> where we fear nothing except not continuing, I guess. But anyway, yeah, welcome to our podcast. I'm Pam Ochoa, and that is Jacob Chastain, and here we are on Craft and Draft, and I think today we're going to talk about something that a lot of people fear, which is why I thought about that question, and the name of that fear is called metrophobia. Did you know that? I you think, know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we've said that term on the show at some point. Maybe not. Have we? We probably did. Or maybe I don't you know. said it to me. I know. I've, I think you've blown my mind with that term before, but let's define that. I just that. love that term. Well, metrophobia, of course, is meter. Metro means meter in this case. So it's a fear of meter. So I thought maybe we might want to talk about I I talked to a lot of teachers, and they're afraid of poetry, so much so that they won't even teach it. They'll run from it. So metrophobia is a fear of poetry. So that's what made me think of that question. See, and I, I think that's definitely, I mean, that's definitely a reality because we, I've worked with people who are terrified of it. And, and just today, it was so funny, my uh, team, they, we were talking about how, you know, we have to hire a new eighth grade teacher and they're going to inherit my students that I've had for two years. And I was like, <clears throat> I was talking about how my students are telling me to move up again. They're like, Chastain, come up to eighth grade, come up to eighth grade. And I'm like, God, I was telling my team, I was like, you know what? It is enticing. That'd be really cool to teach the same kids for kind of like three years in a row. But I was like, also not cool because I had to invent whole new like tricks and whole new gotchas in my teaching this year. But I was also like, they're riding like crazy, but we have developed, they have all got the Chastain mode of riding, which is a little moody. It's a little edgy. You know, it pushes the boundaries of what people would see as traditional writing, so to speak. You know, a lot of them are speaking their minds and a lot of them go to darker places just because that's kind of like my flavor, right? Is You know, as much energy, mm-hmm. like the energy I bring to like entertainment and the podcast and stuff, like that's that's me as a performer, but me as a creator is t- I tend to be on the darker side just because probably my life and things like that. But so I, I lean towards that and I kind of bring the kids into that. And I was like, you know what? They need, they need a different flavor, right? They're writing so much, but they need, it's good to have different teachers and it's good to have different mm-hmm. experiences. They don't need me again, but my partner, she goes, yeah, Chastain. And the, she was like, I'm sure whoever gets them is gonna be so excited that all your kids just write poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Hey, first of all, it's awesome. Thank you very much. They're kicking butt and they're writing awesome poetry. But um, I just thought it was funny because it, it, it reminded me that, you know, this writing poetry and reading poetry and studying poetry, not only are people afraid of it, but I think 
the value of it, like it's seen as either pretentious or useless, right? There's like, I feel like those are like the two extremes. I'm not a hundred percent where that comes from. So where do you, where do you think uh, we can take that either way? Do you want to attack it from the people who are afraid of it angle first? Or you want to attack it from like ma- people just don't see it as valuable in either reading or writing? Well, I think let's do the valuable part because I, th- I have come across that even, you know, throughout my years. And that is, I, I like to, I like to teach from poetry. I like, I think you can do so much. And if you can get a, a student to really understand poem. I mean, think about what's all in a poem. I mean, I mean, just, just the imagery, uh, repetition, the way the author puts their words together. I mean, you can do so much with one word in a poem that takes you a whole paragraph to explain in prose. And I mean, just think about the thought process that goes into poetry. I mean, finding that one word that does all of that for you, I think it's amazing. And I think if you can get students to see that, I mean, think about it. They're looking at the theme. They're looking at symbolism, imagery, all the stuff we try to teach them, right? And talking about show, not tell. I mean, what a great model for, because you take that one word and you show somebody with it. Not only do you show, you get them to feel with you and the passion that you have for whatever that topic is. You put them in a mood or you get them out of the mood. And, uh, you know, I think you can do all of that with poetry. And it would take us, and you can do it in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, well, and this is, you know, it goes back to kind of Nancy Atwell's, po- like a poem a day, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's the when, because I didn't start out using a lot of poetry, I, the same way I didn't start out workshop and the same reason I didn't start out independently reading and independently writing. But it was this, when I realized that like, you know, you have like your traditional poetry, the stuff that is Mm -hmm. kind of, you read it and you're like, ah, that's the poetry of like my youth. You know what I mean? And it's very, Mm -hmm. it's good in a lot of ways. And some of it's actually amazing. Um, But then there's like other genres of poetry. Like there's like, there's tons of websites out there. Um, hello poetry is one of my favorite and button poetry. Those are like my two go-tos, but they both use poetry written by kind of like modern writers. Uh, and a lot of it's good because it's understandable, right? Like it's, it kind of, it's not, not, and not to insult meter or like anything that is, uh, like measured and and specific styles of poetry, but a lot of it is, is free verse. Um, and that's the stuff I found that has been really useful working with kids, both in reading and writing, because it was like, not only was I able to kind of break their misconceptions of what poetry was, but I was able to give them a tool that was like, Hey, you know, we don't, you don't have to write about what you're wanting to write about in essay format, right? That's all we give kids is the tools, personal narratives and essays. Like <laughs> right. And that's, those, here kids, these are the two tools and then maybe fiction, right? If you if you have a creative writing day that week or well, something. Well, but we don't have time to write the fiction. Right. We this don't is, have that kind of time. Well, and I this is the argument that not to bring up uh my book, but rightfully empowered, right? The I in the mm-hmm. beginning I realized that people would uh, people were going to criticize the book because most of the pieces in there are poems from students and they'd go, okay, so this is fine. Chastain, their kids are writing poetry, but what do they, what do they do? Like, when are they writing like the academic stuff? 
And I just, I figured out, I just had to put that up front. So in my intro, I say, you'll notice that there are no essays in this book is because essays are always assigned and every piece in here are something the students chose to write. I didn't assign one piece or topic in this entire book. And I think that's a key distinction about what we're talking about here, which is I think you and I equally respect, we respect the academic side, but we value the the what writing is for that writing is writing to create and to express and to think and to uh wonder and to deal and to cope like all of those re those are all amazing reasons to write but in writing class we almost always just deal with either reflection analysis or explanation those are like your three that we do and i think we just do that's a huge disservice so a poetry is a great way to kind of break that a little bit, but I don't know. I think the, other than that fear, I think people just don't see it as valuable in a lot of ways. Like, well, we have Mm -hmm. kids do bad at nonfiction. So we have to read a bunch of nonfiction all the time. (laughs) It's just like, I I, I don't, I don't, I think we have to break that thought process. Well, I I think um, what I've seen is people talk about the value maybe or the lack of value. And that is, they just put poetry in a unit. I mean, are you sure that poetry can be okay in other places? I mean, or do we just need to wait for that one? Oh, and by the way, let's make sure it's at Christmas where you have, <laughs> where you really have, you know, we're finishing up the semester and we have it for about five weeks because, you know, we don't have so many. Or what if you put it at, you know, like when you come back from Christmas and you have those two weeks before we end and we don't have anything else to do, but let's just throw in a little poetry and let's get the kids to, you know, appreciate something, but they don't have time to really get into it. And that's what I've seen. I've just seen the poetry unit and it's been hard. I've had a hard time over the years getting people to want to do poetry with me throughout the year. Do you do it throughout the year? Do you do it in a unit? Oh, we do poetry all the time. You know, I was afraid to have this conversation because I knew this was going to change what I wanted to do tomorrow because <laughs> I knew it because I, I love it so much and my kids love it. And I was like, we're in star review, right? We have our state test next week. And so we're like knee deep and I, and you know, I can make it star, but it was like, oh, I knew I was into that. But anyway, yes, I do it all year, but I had a, I had a question that you kind of brought up. So you, you're bringing up this, the, 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 the poetry unit. And I had a thought that came to me, but I didn't know how to express it. So maybe you could help me. So I was like, poetry isn't a genre. Poetry is a mode of delivery. Is that what you call that? Like a, is there, is there a writer term for that's not genre, but it's like the, like the letter, like it is a genre, but it's also a form it's a mode of delivery, right? Because you don't – letters are used for specific things, but letters can be for a variety of things. You can write letters for political change. You can write letters to a colleague. You could write letters to yourself. You can write letters for a variety of ways. So the letter – I mean, I guess, I guess I'm just playing with terms here, but do you, know, do you know what I'm asking? Well, I never even thought about that, but I think you're right. It's the modality in which we – Yeah. In which we write. Um yeah, I never thought about that. So prose is a mode. Mm-hmm. So poetry is a mode. Yeah, and I think th- this... But not this, necessarily a genre. Yeah, because... Uh, and I so, think it can be a genre, too. 
But within that, but within that prose, not prose, that poetry, you do have genres. So you have ode poems, you have lyric poems, you have free verse, as you mentioned a second ago. Well, and you so have you could political. look at it that way. I've never thought about it. Well, and this goes, I think this, I think it's at the, you know, I feel like half the thing we do on this podcast is just broad in terms because we, you know, <laughs> well, because everything's so narrow because that, that's the curse mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever you feel about tests, that's the bane of standardized testing, right? It, it mm-hmm. genrefies everything to the point of oversimplification simpli- that uh-huh. it's, it, it ruins all of these things. It's like fiction, like I was looking at our fiction questions, right? And the, you know, it's their questions about, you know, how does the figurative language here do this? And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But like, there's all kinds of reasons fiction works. Like fiction, there, there's, there's fiction that is very allegorical, like the alchemist or uh, I'm reading the fountainhead by Ayn Rand, which is all about her expressing her individualistic philosophy through character. That is far different than just reading like twilight or, you know, like reading right. the Hunger Games or something like that. And the, the same thing for poetry, which is my students, like, it, it, it's easy to say a lot of them, okay, well, a lot of your kids are just writing poetry. Yeah, but what are they doing? A lot of them are reflecting. Some of them are, some of them create uh, scenarios. They tell brief stories through their poetry. So there's some narrative arcs. Some of them, um, they're, they're poems to other people. Uh, some of them are poems as reactions to political movements or social movements that they care about and all of those things. And so what, what the poetry is doing, yes, they're writing poetry, but they're also writing political commentary. They're writing, narratives, they're writing apologies, they're writing uh, reflective pieces. And isn't that what we're trying to do in the first place, right? We're, we're, we want, that's what writing is. If, we, if we're talking about giving kids the tools to use writing in their real life, they, they need more tools than writing essays and, and five paragraph essays and, and these brief little personal narratives that have a specific format. Uh, but I think looking at it as a mode, right? The what is what is happening here? You know, Emily Dickinson is a is a great example. A lot of her poems are very personal, but some of her poems are are social statements about her times, right? I mean, she was a hermit, right. but she was a, a very aware hermit about her times, and she made a lot of very specific observations about stuff. And I think it would be wrong just to say, "Oh, this is just poetry." Well, yeah, I think the I think the poet captures captures what's really going on with the people. Um, they capture the emotions of the time. They capture, like you said, the images of the time, uh, the responses of the time. And I think I think if, you know, teaching history like I have, uh, I like to look at the poetry that has been written over the years, you know, Longfellow, all of those others that have written uh, Walt Whitman. I mean, think about what he did uh, and how he displayed what was going on during that time period, um, you know, during the Civil War. And like, oh, Captain is one that just comes to mind about the feeling of the time about Abraham Lincoln for some people there. So I just think that, yeah, I think they capture that moment kind of like a photograph does, but in a very artful way. And I think I think teaching kids to express themselves that way, but also to absorb uh, the writing of their time, I think I think is very meaningful. 
Well, and it also gives you, I feel like, I mean, in terms of teaching poetry, I feel mm-hmm. like it gives you a lot of freedom to try again, because I always talk about like the mini lesson is your chance to grab your students and involve them in the learning. Mm -hmm. Right. And not every piece you choose, not every excerpt is going to be something that's life changing for students. Right. Uh, Especially if you're in review hell for a test or something like that. But (laughs) if you are, was that a, do you need to write a poem about that? Is that a statement? (laughs) I do. Actually. Is that a line? Are you going to use that as repet- yeah. repetition? I say that to my kids all the time, by the way. I say, ooh, that's a great line. Write it down. They're so tired of me saying that. They said it to me in the hallway today. I said something. They go, Chastain, why don't you write about it? I, th- I think this is a video coming out. You know how you do your video yeah. uh, log? I think that's what this is. I, might, I think it's coming, Chastain. We'll see. We'll see. But the it's the this. I forgot what I was saying. Mm-hmm. You threw me off. What was I'm I saying? so sorry. When you're not, <laughs> all I heard was, I've oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Review help. <laughs> so when you have your normal, like, mini lesson, so if you have, like, if you're reading something longer, it might take a day or two, depends on how long your mini lesson is. But, like, if you use poetry regularly, then you get a chance to put something different. You could be responsive. Let's say, like, if you're teaching middle school, there's they're talking about their drama all the time. So what I love to do Cause I love finding a poem that like will connect to some of their stuff. Like I remember one time, like a lot of my kids were talking about like, like they have like family stuff going on. Like dad is coming back. Dad's leaving. Parents getting divorced, something like that. So I'll pull a poem. That's kind of like that. That kind of talks about that stuff. And lo and behold, all of a sudden they're super invested in the text. They're analyzing it, but they're analyzing it because they're interested in borrowing from that. Because once again, to go back to like one of our earliest podcasts, we are, I train my kids from an early time period to read like readers and read like writers. And it's okay. What's, what's the, what's the poem saying here? Okay. So why does that work? Why did the author phrase it like this? Why is there a line break here? And once you get kids to start thinking about it that way, each piece that they like keyword on the, like they'll end up, wanting to take stuff from that. So I will see direct influences from my mini lesson to their work. Uh, but sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes I think something's awesome and my kids don't care about it at all. We did, uh, this isn't poetry, but we did, uh, the story, the Velt from Ray Bradbury. And oh I think yeah. I love the Velt. That's the one it has relish in it. I don't know if that's the one you used, but that's, he had, he, he uses has relish in belt as well. He, he does. He must like that word. I thought the about one, you when we read he it. He must like that word because the one that I did my lesson on relish was in, um, well, he did dandelion wine and then, uh, in, uh, all summer and a day, like you just said. Yes. Yeah. So we did he the said relish there. Uh-huh. And the kids were not into it. They didn't care at all. Like I had maybe five kids who liked the Velt. Uh, oh, I got. I'm sorry, but you know that's because they live in the Velt today. I mean, think that's about true. it. Their whole that's life. It, like, so what? But you know, when I read the Velt, none of this existed. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have. Yeah. I mean, we had um, Pong or that ping pong. Our our. You know, Atari. Yeah, yeah, Atari. Yeah, we just had a little Atari there. You know, (laughs) if we get lucky, we might could go to the, you know, go down to the mall and play Galactica, or, you know, that's what we had. That was our belt. Today they're used to it. They're used to smart houses. 
Yeah, I guess I that's true. I didn't think about that. That's interesting. I wonder why they didn't think it was that big a deal. Well, they the one thing they did care about that, and they cared about like how because they talk about how they're all useless. They're like, oh my god, we wouldn't be able to tie our shoes if we didn't have the smart house and stuff like that. So they they liked that part and they liked the twist ending. But they other than that, they were like Chastain, this is lame. We don't need this story in our lives. So, but 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 there's so many. But like, here's the thing: there's so many poems like that took about two and a half days of instruction to get through. Cause it's long and I wasn't going to read the whole thing in one sitting. Cause it's like eight pages or whatever. Right. But, um, we, if I did a poem, you know, if, if the worst thing that happens, if you do a poem that kids don't like is it's 15 to 20 minutes of time where you kind of analyze it, then you move on. And it's true. We, I also, but there's also times where like the mini lesson go a little bit longer because kids are super into it and then we can really dive into it. We don't have to wade through so many words to really find great lines and great sentences and great phrases. And that's the stuff. I mean, we're talking young writers. They don't need a lot to improve. They're are they're in they're immature writers, right? <laughs> they don't have that many experiences. So even the smallest aha with writing can really improve them for a good chunk of time. And then eventually they'll be ready for another aha moment. But that's what I'm always searching for. I'm always going, okay, what does this poem do that they haven't seen before? What, what's a really interesting outlook that this piece does. And I, I I have seen over and over again, that poetry gives me more bang for my buck than anything, because it's the, the cost reward is bigger it, or it's smaller. It, well, it's bigger and smaller. The the cost is smaller, but the reward is potentially great uh, versus spending time on a story or an article or something like that, that that'll take a little bit longer, but I can, I get the same effect. So it's like, why not continuously use poetry throughout the year? But to pitch it to you, you know, when we we're talking, we, 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 like 10 minutes ago, we cast aside this idea of a poetry unit, but people live, there's probably listeners of this who they have a poetry unit, their curriculum, our curriculum calls our for curriculum has one. the, the mm-hmm. poetry unit. But so how do you, how do we, how do we navigate that without breaking curriculum, but still in getting poetry involved enough throughout the year? What, what's the, what's the secret sauce here? Well, you know, I, I tell you one of the most successful times that I had, and it's been a while. I try I've tried to do it um here lately, but I think I just need to have somebody who believes in it with me. You know what I mean? Uh, because if only well, you were going matter. to a campus where God, if I was just going where? to a campus that liked poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my mom probably likes poetry. But um but anyway, what what I did a while back, let me just go back to there. It was a while back. It's real successful. I still have it. I mean, I've got one on, on my shelf right over here. But what I did is the kids created an anthology. So what we did is we went down to the library. I brought books. I brought pretty much the whole poetry section uh, to my classroom. We could have gone down there, but I wanted to keep the books in my room because, you know, we have classroom libraries, Right. But how many of us have anthologies of poetry on our in our library? I don't right. know. I have some, but I don't have enough. And I think that's something that would be uh, a good thing. So anyway, what I did is I we talked about what writers do, and and I had um, 
we pulled, everybody chose an anthology to look at, you know, and some was, you know, um, I don't know, all of a sudden I just went blank, but uh, just uh, Paul Fleischman, uh, he has some poems, just I uh, can't say his name without looking at it, uh, Jacink, I can't say his name. Jacinsko, I can't say his name, but anyway, he has some, Shel Silverstein, you know, there's all kinds of poems that these kids, you know, and then you've got other ones, uh, Robert Frost, of course, and some other ones. So anyway, the whole point is we had all of these poems. We had uh, poetry anthologies. So the kids studied the anthologies. I just gave them, I said, pick one, pick one that looks interesting to you. So they go and pick one, pick, pick three or four, whatever we had. So they looked through them. And so then in their groups, they talked talked about their commonalities. What is it and, and their differences? What are the characteristics of these anthologies? So they notice that many of them have a common theme. You know, they don't just have, you know, some of them have a hodgepodge, but very few of them, they usually have a theme. It could be even our topic. It could be fall, poems about summer, poems about school. It could be a collection of a particular person's poetry. So anyway, those are things that they noticed about. So then what I did is I said, okay, now you choose your topics. So they went through their list. You know, we did different things, and then they found topics that they were interested in. Some were into sports. Some were into family. Some were into friends. Whatever. It didn't matter to me. And then we, they found a book or some anthologies, and they imitated them. So I taught, I taught some, I taught, I tried to teach things that they hadn't seen before. I mean, we've taught the limerick forever. So we really, I said, you could pull from that, but I said, I I need you to have, I kind of gave them, you know, about six or seven, eight, maybe even 10, who knows, but different ones we taught. I taught the free verse. We taught, uh, you know, kind of went back over the haiku. They already kind of was familiar with that. The ode poems, um, you know, we did it like that. So it was more like the types of poems, just because that was at that time we had to. It, they now they laid out that you had to teach these. So I taught what I had to teach, but then I had poems of your choice. And the reason Paul Flashman came to mind, and I had the opportunity to tell him that I used his books, but he wrote he writes the poems for two voices. So then they had to find a co-author, and they had to imitate his poem for two voices. Anyway, the kids put together their anthology. They we talked, looked at the illustrations. How were they illustrated? What they do with the white space? The, all that kind of stuff. And the kids ha- made some wonderful, wonderful books, and it was great. And it lasted a full unit, but it was all freedom. I mean, they got to choose their poems, and then they had to write their poems. So, if you chose a haiku, then you had to write a haiku. But it they just kind of did. Uh, their own thing, and it all had to be thematic. And anyway, the kids just had a lot of fun with it. But we imitated the anthologies that we found in the library. Well, and that's, see, it's stuff like that that I find really interesting, which is, you know, just finding ways to let kids interact and model and, and, and just explore their own thoughts with that. Because what happens, right? What ends up happening is kids kind of go off and they they develop their own style over time. Like I think about like the way right. I learned how to write songs as a kid is I would listen to like my favorite song and I would just write lyrics that kind of fit the same cadence, right? And a lot of them sounded very similar, 
right? Like I was imitating, but it's the same way. Like kids that want to shoot basketballs, what do they do? They, they look at LeBron or, or Michael Jordan and they go out and try to mimic them in their driveway or on the basketball court. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you mimic the people that you want to do until you become kind of your own thing. And I think giving kids that free, I think we put too much pressure on this originality factor, uh, in, in kid writing. And I think if we just kind of broke away from that and allowed kids to, to copy a little bit, you know, not like steal. We put so much pressure on like, Oh my God, don't, don't copyright. I'm like half the adults copyright everything in the actual world. Like you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're in your classroom. It's not like you're, <laughs> you know, obviously right. if they're copying, pasting entire poems and claiming it as their own, that's a different conversation. But this, this, this fear of mimicking and stuff like that, I think it's, Unfounded. I think we should really let kids play with language and do that because what happens is what happens to some of my students. Like one of my star, uh, I, I, she she calls herself a poet. Like she has evolved into calling herself that, and she is. And this last piece that she wrote, I was like, I don't have anything to say. I was like, this is good. I was like, there's, I mean, there we can sit here and talk mm-hmm. as like we're. It's no longer. I don't. No, I no longer approach her writing as an educator, but I really am just another writer. I was like, we can talk about style and word choice and what I might do, but the structure wise function wise, this is perfect. I mean, this is what it is. The only Mm -hmm. difference is, is taste. And I think people, I think people don't believe that that's possible. And I think the only way that it can be possible is kids have to see a massive amount of variety of text so they can figure out what they actually like. They can figure mm-hmm. out the types of language they like to use because I have, I said earlier in the show that uh, I had, you know, a lot of teachers have developed my, the Chastain style of, you know, being a little dark or whatever. That's not, that's not entirely true. There's a lot of kids who genuinely just write more positive stuff. They have, they have happier lives. They, they enjoy stuff. They want to write pieces that are kind of joyful in some ways. And they, uh, they're, they're developing that style and it's the only way they decided that though, is they're like, yeah, you know, I like, I understand why those pieces are good, but I really like these. But I mean, how many kids, we talk about kids don't, kids don't read because they don't know what they like because they haven't been exposed to enough. But in writing, we just assume that kids know what they like to write. Right. That's true. Or, mm-hmm. or, or we put well, chains on them and say, no, you have to write this. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, that was my answer to the poetry unit. And, um, you know, and, and I had, I ran into some kids, they were, uh, already had them out of school. And, uh, anyway, I ran into them, you know how you do it, you're in the neighborhood, but, uh, at the store and they were like, oh, Miss Ocho, you know, we still have our books. <laughs> they still have them. So I think when you get the kit, but it's because they had choice. They chose their theme. They chose that. And then the books, the, the poems that they got from other people, because I wanted them to collect. So I wanted it to be a reading and a writing grade, right? Because I had them in a block class. And uh, so the poems that they selected, we talked about, you have to give credit. You have to get, you're now an editor, so you're not you're not just an author, but you're an author editor. And so we looked at and we looked at that. So we we really truly tried to stay true to putting together an anthology. And um, but what a great way to teach theme! Uh, what a great way to you know 
keep them focused because they had to always go back and, and look at what their ideas were. But what I like to do too is what I think you do, and that is you share poems all the way across this year. I think I've already talked about it on one of our prior podcasts, and that was uh, Nancy Atwell's lesson on the red wheelbarrow uh, with Carlos Williams and talking about being able to teach out of something that's just a few lines. And I think that was probably one of my longest mini lessons. <laughs> so it was just like three or four lines, and it was the longest mini lesson because the kids were, once I, once we got them attuned and once they, you know, well, they just really went to town. They really enjoyed it. Well, and I feel like I would be doing a disservice for anyone who's listening to this who's like, I need to know like how to get kids interested in poetry. Okay. Slam poetry is my number one go-to. And don't be disheartened if you look at slam poetry and you find a lot of it is inappropriate for your age. A lot of it probably is inappropriate for elementary, but middle school, there's there's a lot. You know, and slam poetry is supposed to be aggressive, so there's a lot of stuff that uh isn't entirely appropriate. You know, they use certain language or they talk about certain concepts and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that is appropriate and a lot of stuff that's very good. And if you find popular stuff, you can, uh, you know, there's usually a transcription somewhere. Uh, and if not, you can either do it by hand or you can find a way to kind of, there's programs to it. I have transcribed entire slam poetry by hand and it is long and it takes forever to do, but there's a lot of stuff like, um, there, D- Denise Friedman is a slam poet. She has a poem called accents and she starts the poem. She goes, my mom holds her accent like a shotgun with two hands. And it's because her, she's talking about her mom talks with her hands. Right. And uh-huh. it's, she's talking about, she's a Hispanic mom. So she like, and it was, I mean, my students loved that poem because it was, uh, there, there's so many references to like, how like you know classic kind of hispanic moms talk and what that accent looks like and all this other stuff and it was great and my students really really connected to that and they end up writing a lot of similar themes to that and that that poem still pops up uh in their writing today like there was uh it's the theme of that comes, but it's because slam poetry is so really good ones. It's because it's performance. It's not, it's so, it's so, uh, seductive to students because it's loud and it's aggressive and it's entertaining to listen to and entertaining to watch. So when I hand it to them, it's, I can get them to talk about it easily, especially if it's a topic they care about or for something they enjoy. Now this can also be done horribly, Okay, so you can give. I think I've done it horribly. Well, you can hand. <laughs> like just, I've just seen, <laughs> I've seen people take a, a slam poem and just go, "Okay, kids, uh, we're gonna watch the slam poem." And they hit play and they watch it and they go, "All right, so uh, what what do we notice? What do we got?" What do we got? It's like there was no buildup. Like half of this is like you got to bring your energy. Like it's an event and like really diving into it and and getting your kids to read like readers and read like writers and have those discussions about what is that – has the author make this entertaining, you know? And I, I think that you can go as deep as you want or as shallow as you want. Sometimes I don't go deep. 
sometimes we just appreciate a piece. And I think that also, like if we talk about taboos, oh no, a lesson where we just talk about what we enjoy in a piece, God forbid, what standard is that? (laughs) And... Uh, but I, I think that is, I mean, if you talk about like on the road to literature analysis, right? If we're talking middle school, which we're not really doing literature analysis just yet. Um, but when they get to high school, that's more important. And then obviously college. But I, I think, how are you supposed to analyze literature at all if you have no idea what you like? Well, that's true. I think they need to know and they need to. So, yeah, I agree with that. I do have a question, though. Sure. So do you ever stop and teach like the traditional rhyme scheme meter kind of stuff? Or do you just uh, let the kids explore it? I do sometimes. Like we'll like if I pull in something that's really interesting, so I love I'd usually do it once a year for fun. I love doing um Invictus, right? Uh-huh. No, you know, no no matter how powerful the scroll or whatever. My head is unbowed. You know, I I love, it's one of my favorite poems of all time. Very classic, very boring to most middle schoolers, but it's kind of obtuse. So I always present it like a challenge, but we'll, we'll, so we'll analyze that. But I honestly don't focus too much on meter all the time or like specific styles. Now I will, if it comes up and we'll kind of talk about it, but I don't, I feel like when when we get to that, it. I feel like there's almost other like I don't know. Well, let me ask you. Like I'm gonna flip it on you. Like what? <laughs> Listen to that. I didn't ask because I wanted to answer. <laughs> Go ahead. What, well, my my point is is I kind of don't at all. Like I I do I have and I do very rarely though. I would say it, it takes up a very small portion, but. And I would almost make the argument that it kind of doesn't matter, but I feel sacrilegious saying that on a podcast about reading and writing. So would you you push back to that? Yeah, I'll push back. Hey, I I, honestly... Be the voice for the people rolling their eyes at me right now. I love the meter. (laughs) I love the meter. I mean, I love iambic pentameter and... I mean, you know, I love all that. Yeah, I do. But I tell you, you see what, me stutter my way through that answer. By the way, I was like a kid that I just did, got I caught. I knew the answer. I would have asked the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have pitched on the spot, but I did. I knew you were going to be like that. <laughs> no, well, um, no, I like I like to teach it. But yeah, when it comes up, and you know, like of course, if it's my standard, I'm going to be teaching it because you know me. I, I have to follow the rules. But anyway, sure, uh, you know. But the thing is. Um, I think it gets exciting, but how do I turn kids on to poetry? I don't use slam poetry. I probably did that very poorly. And so, um, I'm not, I'm just not that familiar. I know what it is. I've even let my kids do it, but I'm not going to get up there and pretend that, you know, I know about it that well. You know what I mean? Like I'll show some and I might say, Hey, what did you notice? <laughs> I might do some of that. But what I would do, what I do is I start the kids with words and I have them go and they go and find words. So they become word hunters and they go find the coolest different word that they didn't think anybody would find. And of course, you know, I think I shared this. We filled up our whole board 
you know, so I'll put words all over the walls and things like that. And then we'll try to find things that rhyme with some of those words. And then, of course, I'll start showing how poets use these words and things like that. And then I'll challenge them that way. And then, um, you know, and then I start with their own, um, I don't know, their own experiences, you know, list some things. I like some of Nancy Atwell's um she has a a lesson that she does in lessons that change writers. I I I do that one, and that is um, where poem where poems hide. She has a lesson for that, so I take right there, and then uh, they have writing territories, and I do all those kinds of things. So I got some of that from her, and it got me over my fear of poetry because I really did have a fear of teaching it because I didn't want to teach that. And I think that's that, that study of meter study of rhyme scheme and getting all those fancy words wrong when you're trying to talk to the kids. I think that's where the fear comes from going back to that idea of fear. Yeah. It's so as, this, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I was saying it's, nah. it's kind of the same thing as a, uh, you know, fear of like deep, like grammar work, like really yeah, going into same like way. the the nerdy part of language. Not just here's the yeah. rules, but mm-hmm. here's all the interesting like like mm-hmm. ways you can manipulate the rules. I, that's where that's where people get sweaty a little bit because it's like, yeah. oh my god, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing is like you know when I taught in ninth grade, you know we talked. Uh, of course, I taught Romeo and Juliet, and you know. Shakespeare does a great job of using po- uh, using prose versus uh, poetry, poetic forms, uh, to show the differences between the characters. You yes. know, and so I think if you can show the students an excerpt of that and then say, okay, go in your writing, see if you can figure out a way to do this. That, that's kind of what I like to do. But I do like to get them looking for words and just finding all those words because once they have words, then, you know, they just start thinking differently. So I want to give one kind of final tip for anyone wanting to dip their feet into this. And this is something I've never, I've, 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 maybe I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've never really seen anyone talk about this in a book anywhere or in a training, but this is something I developed that I think is powerful in a way, which is, so the reason I love getting kids to write poetry so much is because it gets me to get even the most resistant writers to write because they feel like they're doing less, That's true. right? That's true. They, they, yes. they don't, it's not like, oh my God, I have to write a full page. It's all, oh, it was poetry, bro. Just write it's two stanzas, right? You write a line. Write a line right? and let's divide it. Now you've yeah, got two lines. Now exactly. you have stanza. Exactly. Oh, yeah. See, and you've yeah. I've seen you do that with when you when we were working together and you'd worked with some of my more struggling writers. Oh, yeah, I've you, seen you. I, there's one she had a there's one that I particularly remember. I said, hang on. Mm-hmm. I said she couldn't think. She st- she was staring at that page and I sat yeah. down. I said, Can I do you mind if I help her? Yeah, I remember that. And so I told her, she was like, I don't know what to write. And I said, Well, tell me what you're thinking. What what is the I mean why is it so hard to, you know? So anyway, I said, just write that, write it down. So she wrote it in prose, just wrote. And then I said, all right, let's blow your mind. Are you ready for this? That's what I told her. Are you ready? And she goes, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I said, put a line right here. Okay, now tell me where your next line. So, so we divided her sentences up. And then I said, okay, now, which one of these words is the most important word that you said in this sentence? So she looked at it, studied it, 
She found the word. I said, okay, put it on a line all by itself. And then from there, we just started, she started getting the hang of it. And she wrote a pretty good poem. I think, if I remember correctly. Yes. And that is what I'm talking about. This So getting a kid to just put words down mm-hmm. and then freeing them up. So like, there's think about all the things that get in your way. Kids who don't write, who are resistant to writing, the last thing they want to do, they don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to mess with commas. They don't want to do periods. Like I, a lot of kid, a lot of teachers, you see like on the internet, they go, oh my God, kids need to use their commas. It drives me crazy when they don't do it. They don't use them because they're afraid to do it wrong. So exactly let's, let's remove that just for now, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying ignore grammar forever, but let's, let's take that barrier away just for now. Okay. Let, let's go, hey, guess what? Don't, don't worry about commas. Don't worry about periods. Don't, worry, don't even worry about spelling. What are the most important words that you're writing right now? Okay? This works with any kid. It works with any type of speller. It works with any language learner because every kid can look at a line and judge what's the most important part. And then you go, here, let's do this. What if you dropped it down here? How does that, how does that draw our attention? Oh, it keeps us going. Cool. So what's, what might go next? And then you get a kid to start writing in a way that they're not thinking about grammar anymore. They're not thinking about being judged because you've taught them by talking with them several times through this, that there is no judgment here. It's only creation. It's only putting their words down, thinking about what's most important. And then you start getting some ownership. They start thinking about their word choices versus all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. we're removing barriers. And another way to do that, let's say you have a kid that won't write. Okay. You go, well, I don't even have a kid that'll write a line. Teachers will say, you go, cool, do Uh this. This is what I do. I start talking to them, right? This might take a day. It might take two days. It might take a week. It might take two weeks. You just talk to them. Jot down things that they're saying. Eventually, you will latch onto a story, right? I Let's say I had a kid one time who was telling me a story about his mom. He said his mom was getting out of jail soon, right? It took a it took us a while to get there. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I just asked some questions. And I started jotting down. I was like, well, how does it make you feel, right? <laughs> kind of like a therapy session, but let them, let them talk for a little bit. And I would just jot down things that they would say. And I would do line breaks almost. Right. Or maybe I mm-hmm. didn't. And I would go, okay, so look, and I'd hand it to them and I go, look at this and go, what's that? I'm like, those are your words. I did not add a single word to this. That's everything you said. And what I'm doing by showing them this is I'm saying, you're already writing. You're already doing what writing is, which is putting your thoughts down on page. I was like, that's it. And then I go, take this. This is yours. Have fun, right? If it's digital, I always do this on my iPad. So I'm like, take a screenshot, take a picture, whatever you need to do. That's yours now. Those are your words. You do with it what you will. And I walk away. And what I do, doing that process Mm -hmm. though, writing words down that your kids are saying and then showing them what that looks like in whatever form you're trying to get them to write in, poetry, whatever, you are training them. And showing them and freeing them that that's that's what writing is. And on the basic level, it is. And then what you do from there is you work with them over time. And then you'd be shocked at the progress that these kids make. They're, they, their writing becomes focused. They don't – and this translates into essays, right? We talk about like the, the wandering essay, right? The essays that just go from topic to topic to topic to topic. You fix that by getting them to write poetry about specific feelings, specific thoughts, specific events, specific ideas they have, because that translates. Once a kid can control a thought in poetry, they can control it in longer forms. And then you work on different things. And then eventually you start working on grammar and then you polish it up. And before you know it, you have a bunch of writers who write well. 
And that's, I mean, talk about growth, but it's, 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 I really do think it's about just free them. Just stop making it about so like being ride and all this other crap. Just free them. (laughs) (laughs) Free the kids (laughs) with poetry. That's right. (laughs) Well, one of my favorite times we, we also, I like to take their poems, the poems they like the most and create an anthology out of them where they create a classroom anthology so they each contribute a poem. But this one girl, I had an inclusion class and she really had been in uh, special education in our resource class. And they were trying her just to see how she would do. So she was pretty low in her abilities. And so my approach to her, because you reminded me of, of this, but I looked at her and I said, so what's your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing in the whole world? She looked at me. She goes, it's ice cream. I said, all right, tell me all about the ice cream. And so she started writing. And then we did exactly what you did. We moved her words around, but it was her words. We moved them around and she shaped it like an ice cream cone. So she created this ice cream shaped thing. And then she illustrated the page. But it started out with ice cream, the word, and it ended with ice cream. But all the stuff in the middle, she likes ice cream with sprinkles. She likes ice cream with this. She loves ice cream with her family, you know, but she talked about going and getting ice cream. And uh, that was her favorite thing that she wrote. And that was the first time that they'd ever had a write. She actually wrote something without that made sense because she could she could do it in that short form. So it was really kind of a neat experience. They were all excited about it. But her co-teachers, mm-hmm, my co-teachers. Right. That's what it's about right there. Get them, get them somehow, right? However you need, however you need to get a kid writing, they will write. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question about this, DM us, contact us. We could talk poetry probably. I'm sure we'll have many more podcasts about this. We both love poetry so much and I might just change my lesson plans tomorrow. We'll see what happens once I walk away from this microphone. But regardless, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Craft and Draft Podcast. That is Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two seventh grade English teachers in Texas. So we do the same things you do. We work at a public school, work at Title I schools. We are doing the same work you're doing. So this isn't some magic box. We deal with the same problems you got. We have standardized testing. We have all the craziness that comes with and we're at the end of our covid year so we're a little excited excited to move on to bigger horizons summer's coming up which means ocho is going to be training and i'll be sipping margaritas on the beach or something i don't know i'm just no you're not you're gonna be you're (laughs) gonna be in my class i am gonna be i'm gonna be used to That's, be that's my, my look that you, look, the training is my margarita and you're and you're the space you is go. the beach. That's what I mean. See, people just don't oh, realize. I see, I they see don't realize that. that that's my happy place. But regardless, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Release the podcast every single Friday. Check us out, everyone. Check us out on the Facebook page. Rate and review the podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that star button. Leave a couple kind words if you will. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your team. We're going to keep going, ladies and gentlemen. We have wonderful episodes coming up. If you have an idea for an episode, DM us. We will talk about whatever you want to talk about. Send a question. We might make your question the center of a show, or we might answer it at the beginning. Who knows? You never know what you're going to get with either of us. But stick around, ladies and gentlemen. And until then, know that we are here for you.